We are joined right now by somebody who played quarterback for Alabama from 2007 to 2010. He won the 2010 BCS National Championship. He went undefeated that year. They were 14-0. and He finished up his college career as a quarterback, starting quarterback, 24-3. and Drafted by the Jets in the 2011 draft. He is an ESPN college football analyst. He is co-host of McElroy and Kubelik in the morning. It's heard weekdays on WJOX 94.5 in Birmingham. We are joined by Greg McElroy. Greg, it is awesome to have you back on the show, my man. How you doing? Doing great, Jim, man. Thanks for having me, brother. So good to have you. I really appreciate you making time. I know your schedule is pretty hairy. So let me ask you first about the Michigan Stein sign-stealing scandal. It continues to overshadow everything in college football. You and I have not spoken about this. So can you tell me, where do you come out on it? And if, in fact, the allegations are true, in your mind, how egregious are they? Well, I think it's there are varying levels of obtaining the information that Michigan used, right? Jim, I'll be the first to admit uh, I stole signs in the NFL. I stole them in college. <laughs> and if I were still playing, I'd still be stealing them. Um, but to go about it the way that Michigan went about it is against the rules. And whether you agree with the rule or not, it's against the rules. Uh, to send a scout out to videotape a sideline, um, and people have already said he's gone rogue. And I can't tell you if Jim Harbaugh knows or not. I have a hard time believing that he was unaware but I can't prove that, at least at this point. So I think ultimately the buck stops with you as the head coach. And if somebody on your staff or somebody within the administration is doing the things that Connor Stallions is doing, then you ultimately will be held responsible. But I'm not okay with Jim. I'm not okay with the idea of a bowl ban. And I'm certainly not okay uh, with keeping these kids away from potentially winning a national championship to the best team in college football. And to know that this scandal is, is weighing on them, I would imagine, is, is, I think, already difficult enough. But to suggest taking them out of the postseason, I can't get on board. What I can get on board with is a fine that we've never seen before at the levels in which we're going to see it for Jim Harbaugh. I'd fine him $5 bucks if you could. I don't know what the number is. He's making 9 or 10 this year. Fine him a boatload of money. And then I would go to Michigan. I would say, hey, uh, you know the money that you're going to get? from your college football playoff birth, yeah, you're going to get $0 of that money because we can't say for a certain that you didn't create an advantage against the teams you're playing against. So I would hit them where it hurts in the pocketbook, but I would not take away the opportunity for the players to play in the postseason. All right, so it's almost uncanny. I, I, I'm with you on almost everything you said right there, literally everything. I think that's really interesting what you said about the players because I was going to ask you, Greg, do you see all this noise impacting the players at all in terms of preparation and how they show up on Saturdays and especially this Saturday? Uh, you know, I think it's really, really interesting because I would think as a player that you would be able to compartmentalize it. But I also played Jim in a different era. Uh, I played in an era where there wasn't social media, where there wasn't around-the-clock coverage. While college football was important, it was really a one-day-a-week sport. And college football has changed a lot in the last 15 years since I played. College football has become a 365-day-a-year sport with the NIL and the portal. It's become far more business-like than it was when I was playing. So uh, I would think as a player back in the day, it would not have been as big a deal. We had, a, I guess you could call it a moderate scandal in 2007, and we had eight or ten guys that were suspended because they were taking books 
from the bookstore and then selling them because it was part of your scholarship. You can go get books and then you sell them, you turn it around for cash. All those guys got suspended. They removed from the team and we lost the final four games of the year because it was just a heavy burden for us to be able to deal with. I'm not comparing the two at all, but I think the modern day athletes just more capable of handling external scrutiny because they grew up in an era where you're told how terrible you are on a week to week basis on social media. So uh, I think it would have affected us a lot back in 2008, 9, 10. But now in 23, I don't know if it's going to burden these guys as much as it would have back in the day. Greg McElroy joining us. All right, Greg, so what about the college football playoff rankings? They've got Ohio State at number one for the second straight week. In your opinion, does the selection committee have that right? As of right now, are they the ones to beat? No. Uh, Ohio State is not. I have not seen anything from Ohio State up to this point that makes me believe they're the best team in college football. Now, do they have a good resume? Absolutely, which is why I wouldn't push back on Ohio State being number one. But, Jim, my issue, and I was on the show on Tuesday when the rankings were released, and I've said this for years. I haven't been on that show. This is the first year I've done it on Tuesdays. But I've said this for years. I'm so frustrated with the committee's inability to be consistent. Uh, I'm okay with Ohio State being one. That's fine. If you want to cite the resume, I'm great with that. Their resume is awesome. You got a good win against Penn State, a team that's currently in the top 10. You got another good win against Notre Dame, another team that's in the top 10 or top 20. So you got good wins on your schedule. You have some other really good wins along the way as well. So Penn State, they have a rock solid resume. But my problem is that they pick and choose the order based on varying criteria. Number two is Georgia. They haven't really played anybody prior to Missouri last week. They looked good in that performance for the most part in the second half. But they were put at number two the week before based on eye test and how they looked in their performances. Number three was Michigan. That's all on eye test. They've played nobody. The best team they've played so far this year is a six and three Rutgers team. And then at four, you have Florida State. At five, you have Washington. You can make a case that Washington has a great resume because they have a great win against the committee's number six, Oregon. But Oregon's beaten Utah, and that's pretty much it. That's the only team, Jim, that they've beaten that has an above 500 record. That's crazy to me. So if we're really going to base our rankings on a resume with Ohio State at number one, then the team that's at number six should be the team amongst the one-loss teams with the best resume, and that's Texas. They have five wins over teams that are over 500. They have a big win on the road in Tuscaloosa against Alabama, who's currently ranked eighth. So the inconsistency from the, from the rankings committee has frustrated me for years, but it's kind of boiled over this year with some of the inconsistencies. I think you're right. Texas, I think, has a really persuasive argument. Greg, go back to Oregon for a minute. You made no – you didn't try to hide that. That, that quote irritated you, didn't it, that they, they were number six? Well, it's not, even, it's not Oregon's fault. Like, Jim, I have Oregon, but I do my – rankings, my own personal rankings, based on who I think is best. What do you have? If I were to stack them up. What's your personal top six? My personal rankings are as false. I have Michigan at one. I think they're the best team. I think the most complete team. They've played nobody. Their resume does not deserve a number one seed, but I think they're the best team. I do my rankings based on who I think would win. I would pick Michigan over everybody. I would pick Georgia over everybody. I have them at two, except for Michigan. At number three, I would have Florida State. I would pick Florida State over everybody except for Georgia and Michigan. Four, Washington. Five, Ohio State, because I don't think Ohio State's looked great offensively. I think they've ebbed and flowed and have had good moments, but they have been few and far between. And outside of Marvin Harrison, there isn't a lot of consistency on the offensive side of the football. So that's been a little concerning. And when they go against top-tier defenses, 
I think that could potentially become a big problem for him. So I would have Ohio State at five, and then at number six, I'd have Oregon, because I think Oregon has enough on defense and a really high-powered offense to beat everybody. But uh, if the committee's going to put Ohio State at one, then they should also use the resume argument to apply that to the one-loss teams, and Oregon doesn't have the best one-loss resume. So uh, I think Oregon's excellent, uh, and you know, I think that they have a real chance of running the table and getting to the playoff anyways. Say, I like what I'm hearing. I like this. I respect this. What about Alabama? You know that program as well as anybody. What do you make of how the season is played out for the Tide, who are currently ranked number eight, and they're still, are they still in the national championship hunt with that one loss themselves? They are, but I think they need some help, which is a really strange place to be, um, both as, as an Alabama fan and, uh, and as an alumnus. Uh, I can't remember a time in which I've been – uh, aligned with with the Crimson Tide. I can't remember a time which they weren't control of their own destiny, and it's a very strange place to be in because you're going to look down the ray down down the way, and this assumes chalk flies, right? I mean, which is a pretty dangerous assumption in college football, right? But let's assume chalk flies. Let's just say Michigan wins out; they're in the playoff naturally, undefeated Big Ten champ. Let's say Washington or Oregon wins out. They're a one-loss or a no-loss Pac-12 champ. They're currently in front of Alabama, so they'll probably hold serve, one would assume. Uh, Right now, you have a really good scenario that's boiling with Florida State, who is undefeated in the ACC and might even strengthen their resume down the stretch with a good win against a team that's probably going to be in the top 10 next week in Louisville. So that's three teams right now that have secured playoff spots. Michigan, Florida State, Washington, slash Oregon. Well, the fourth right now might be Texas. And Texas is currently a one-loss team that beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa head-to-head. So that's a really tough thing for the committee to justify. Well, hey, Bama might win if they played again right now. Yeah, but what you're saying if you do that is that Texas and Alabama, that game they played back in week two, doesn't matter. And I don't think the committee will do that. I think that's a dangerous spot to be in. But I think Alabama has a crazy high ceiling. They've improved at leaps and bounds the last couple weeks. And if they can keep going, I think they can give Georgia a game, for sure, in the SEC title game. Uh, but it's kind of odd because there's a real possibility. It's, it's crazy to think about, but if Bama wins the SEC title, they're going to need some pieces around them to fall off because it's not a guarantee that they'll be assured to the playoffs. I mean, it's been such an unusual season. And to your point, Greg, it's so unusual to see them not controlling their own fate and destiny. So when Nick Saban says how much he loves this team, do you believe that he loves this team that much? Or is he trying to keep everybody up and motivated and positive and energetic? No, I really think he does, Jim. I really do. I was down there in the fall and went to practice. I took my son. It was his first practice. And you would have thought, you know, he thought it was just the greatest thing of all time. And, and Coach Saban, I've never seen him so engaging. Uh, you know, I mean, of course, with my four-year-old, yeah, he was going to be super nice to him. But even to me, he has had a smile year to year. And camp had been brutal. In the South this year, it was like 120 degrees every day of August. It was awful. It was a horrible camp uh, for temperature and, and experience and environment. And he said he didn't have one guy complain. Not one guy complain, not one guy not give his best effort in practice. So I really believe that he connects to this team. And I think Coach always seems to kind of find his way, whether it be an individual player if, or, or if it you know, be a team. If, if an individual player needs to be loved up, he will go out of his way to do that. If you're handling your business and you don't need help, he'll let you do your thing. But if you need help and you need to be hands-on, then he'll gravitate towards those players that feel like they need him. And I think he's done that with this team. I think he feels and the team feels as though they kind of need to be 
taken care of. They need to be loved up a little bit because there's not a star player. And I've said this for a while. I've described the team the last couple of years as just very star-driven. So Bryce Young, for instance, offensively, Will Anderson on defense. If you have a star player like Bryce Young and you work, it's like the, the, the football team's like the human body. And Bryce Young is like the biceps. Well, if your best attribute is your biceps, you're probably going to do a lot of curls. And guess what? The rest of your body is probably going to atrophy. And I think that's what happened to Alabama the last couple of years. They put so much weight on Bryce Young, and they put so much weight on Will Anderson on offense and defense respectively that the rest of the muscles around them atrophied. This team doesn't have that star. They're kind of a collection in which the sum is greater than each individual part. And while there will be guys that will be drafted in the top 15, top 20, you know, first-round guys, there's not going to be a bunch of guys that are chasing postseason awards. And, but the team collectively plays really well together, and there's not a lot of egos, and I think that's a really good recipe. The culture is strong on this team, and that's a good recipe to be successful down the stretch. Such an awesome analogy. You can't only do upper body days. you got to work on that lower body. Greg, leave me with the thought because you mentioned Bryce Young. What do you make of his struggles thus far, and do you think ultimately he's going to be all right or maybe not? Well, here's, my, here's the, the issue for Bryce is that he's going to be compared to the guy that's playing really well that was drafted after him. Uh, Bryce looks like a rookie. I mean, a lot of guys struggle as a rookie. I mean, I've seen great, great college players that were drafted really high that didn't come out their first year and light it up. Joe Burrow didn't light it up his first year, and I know he had no offensive line, didn't have Jamar Chase, but things changed a lot after he came back from the knee injury in the second season and is since now one of the best in the AFC. Uh, Tua Tungavaloa, also another Alabama product, didn't look great. Early in his career, when he was thrust in the lineup, he was kind of in and out of the lineup. It was odd the way they handled him with the previous staff. So he didn't really get confident until things got going a little long. I'm not going to lose faith in Bryce. I've seen enough from him to know that he's a heck of a player. Um, it's just unfortunate because C.J. Stroud's kind of ruining it for him right now because C.J. looks like a perennial pro bowler for many, many years to come, and we haven't quite seen that from Bryce just yet. But I still think he's going to be fine. I, I really do. It's just – with all due respect to his supporting cast, uh, I don't think they're great. For instance, I think you take Tank Dell and put him on Carolina, he, he might be their best weapon. And I, I'm not sure that, that Bryce is, is in as good a situation as CJ is right now. And we're just saying something because the Texans were pretty abysmal for a really long time. No one better. Played quarterback for Alabama from 2007 to 2010, as I mentioned. Won that 2010 BCS National Championship. Had a great career there. Currently an ESPN college football analyst. Has that morning show also in Birmingham. Dude, I appreciate you so much. I know how busy you are. I did not mean to go long form with you, Greg, but you're inherently really interesting, bro, so I couldn't let you go. Thanks for making time, Greg. Really appreciate you. That was great. It's always a treat to visit with you, Jim, man. Thanks again for having me. Appreciate you so much, man. Greg McElroy, he is so good. He is so, so good. Love talking to him. Absolutely love talking to him. All right, so let me get out ran heavy because that is really good content. Love hearing what he has to say about the college game and the pro game. Greg McElroy joining us.